If you don't know me, my name's Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Church, and it is an honor and a privilege to every single weekend joyfully anticipate good things from a good God with these people, these people of hope who look to the future and say, God is good. Come on, he's been good, he's going to be good, and he's good right now. By faith, we just keep anticipating good things from a good God. And today we're in a series called Making Moves. We're making moves, and today it's real simple. They're dad moves. Tell your neighbor, making dad moves. You've heard of dad jokes. These are dad moves, okay? And uh, I want to give you four dad moves, four dad moves that will make a difference in your kids' lives. No matter what age or stage or phase you are of being a father or being in relationship to your father, these are moves that my dad made that will definitely make an impact on your kids. And first, can I just say that fathers are like an endangered species in our day. Right now on planet Earth, you need to understand there really is an enemy of your soul. There really is an enemy. We call him the devil. And he really goes after fathers. He really goes after the seed. It might have something to do with the power of the opening stanza of the thing that Jesus said every day. Pray this when you pray. He said, our father. He said, don't pray, oh Jesus, oh Holy Spirit. He says, every day he says, our father who is in heaven. That's the way we're relating to God. He said, every day relate to him like this. Father who's in heaven, awesome is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here in my life, right here on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today everything I need to be everything you call me to be. And he says, God has revealed himself to us as a father. I better say father. And maybe that's why there's such an attack and such an onslaught against fatherhood in our generation, if not more than any other generation. I'm not sure if you realize this, but a father is like a GPS guidance system for a kid. It kind of shows a lot of things about a lot of things. A father gives them a how-to guide or navigate themselves through this life, through all of its crises, its trials, its issues, ups and downs, identity crises, corona crises, cash crisis. Fathers really Without even sometimes trying, they set the stage as a GPS navigation system of how to handle life. There is strength in a father's words. In the Bible, we see that Rebecca, she could position her son for blessing, but really it was the father's words that ultimately shaped and forged his son's destiny. There's something about a father. There's something about the power in their words, creating identity, creating a path for success, and creating a reality to base your whole future on. And the devil goes after that power in fatherhood. I'm not sure if you realize this, but more males die in cot death or SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, than females. 60% more in males die at birth. 80% more males die of disease in the first three to five years of their lives. That's quite wild, right? Even in old age, men die younger. Women live 10, 15 years, sometimes longer than men. All the insurance agencies know this, and yet they can't explain it, okay? They don't understand why, but there's, there's a power that is under attack in the identity of a father. Everybody say father. All the way through the scriptures, the devil, he always goes after and has attacked the male. He takes women into captivity, but he kills men, and he kills young babies. 
boys. In Moses' day, we saw Pharaoh go after all the boys, two years old and younger, and he killed and killed the seed. Come on, Sennacherib, he did it as well. He wiped out an entire generation just trying to kill all the baby boys. In Jesus' day, Herod wiped out all the young baby boys. There's a power because the devil knows if he can get to the man, if he can kill the man, he can kill the seed. He can stop the seed and strip the family of the strength of having a father. And I want to speak to you today about the importance of fathers. Some people say all the way down to today, the problem with society is a lack of fathers. They say that's at the root of a lot of things. We could talk about crime. We could talk about racism. We could talk about poverty. We could talk about a lot of things. And they all come back to this kind of big idea that fatherhood is an issue. Fatherhood is missing in our generation. A lot of people having babies, very few people being a father. You catching what I'm saying? You know, it's easy to have a baby. It's kind of fun. But it's really, really difficult to be a father. Really difficult to be a father. I'm going to give you a few handles today, but I want to start out in Genesis chapter 12, looking at the father of our faith, Abraham. It says this in 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, why don't you catch this? Get out of your country. Away from your family. You know this is how your faith started? Separate from your family. And away from your father's house. I want to tell you, you can have a good dad. You can have a really bad dad. This is how the faith started. Get out of your family. Get away from your father's house to a land I will show you. Abraham is known as the father of our faith. And the first foundational thing I want to show you is that a father is a pioneer. Just flat out, a father has to be a pioneer. You know, you can have three kids, four kids. I'm up to three. Some people have like four, five, six. I met a family of six kids today. I'm like, wow, this is incredibly amazing. You can know it works for this one. It works for this one. Where'd this one come from? It's like my, my family never had any of this kind of kid, and now I have to pioneer this version of crazy child. You know, sometimes you're like, it's working, it's working, it's working. Oh, it's not working anymore. What do I do? you got to become a pioneer. Every father, whether you had a good example or a bad example, some of you guys feel like pioneers all the time because you never saw jack squat from anybody with a father title in your life. It's like, I'm pioneering everything. I don't know what a father looks like. The first foundational thing, I want to say, you have a good father, lots of kids. There's always pioneering in fatherhood. A father is a pioneer. That's your first blank today. If you read the end of Genesis chapter 11, you'll find that Abraham's father, Terah, okay? Abraham had a father that he left his house and left his father, his family. The Bible kind of hints that God was calling his father to also leave the Ur of the Chaldeans and go to this land, this promised land, to be a father of a faith. To go into this destiny that God had for Terah. But tragically, along the way, he lost one of his three boys, Haran, Abraham's brother. And the Bible says when he came to the burial site of his son for Haran, he could not get past over all the memories. He couldn't get over the emotional loss and attachment. He just couldn't bring himself to let go of the past, to lay hold of the future, and be a pioneer of our faith. He just couldn't let go of the past. With his baggage, with his strengths, with his weaknesses, everything bundled up with the pain of his past. He couldn't let go of it to be the father of our faith. And so a generation cycles, and now here comes the same call to Abram, his son. And God says to Abraham, get out of your house. you got a great dad. He's a wealthy dad. You come from a really good family. Leave your family. 
You hear what I'm saying? He's saying no matter what, you got great things, you got hurting things, you got pain things, I want you to leave it because a father has to pioneer. I had a great dad, I'm still pioneering. Some people have a really ishy dad, they still got to pioneer, right? Get away from your family, go to a land that I will show you. Maybe you grew up without a father. Maybe it's like sailing uncharted waters everywhere you go with your whole life. God is calling you to start pioneering. The father of our faith never had someone show him how to be the father of a faith. How do I do this? (laughs) How do you be the father of the faith? Nobody ever showed Abraham how to be the father of a faith. He just pioneered. And he left his father. And he left his family. Good or bad, he left it, and he said, I'm going to pioneer and do this with God. I need somebody who's higher than me. I need somebody who's better than me. I need somebody who's stronger than me. And I need wisdom for every situation in front of me. Whether I've seen it or not, I got to learn to pioneer. He was committed to pioneering. Are you, Dad? Committed to forging a trail where there is none. To working out problems that you've never seen before. Instead of having excuses and impossibility be his conversation, he found a way to pioneer and problem solve. Because he realized, I am response able. I am response able. I may have not started the problem, but I can solve the problem. I can respond to the problem. I'm not a reactor. I'm a responser. I'm a responsive person. I respond to problems. I don't just react to them. I'm not a flippant father. I'm a responsive father. I take responsibility, ability to respond. He found a way to pioneer and problem solve in the face of every unknown along his path. Are you catching this? Men of hope, you may have valid pain today from your dad. You may have huge gaping holes in your life when it comes to knowing what the heaven you're doing as a father. You might say, well, I don't really know how to be a dad. God is calling you. I need you to be an Abraham. I need you to pioneer. I need you to step up and step out and do things and go to places that are unknown and untold and unseen before. And I need you to learn how to do this for the seed that is in front of you. The generation is waiting for you to step up and do it anyways. Whether you've seen it or not, move forward as a father. Make a dad move today. I need you to sail uncharted waters. You you didn't have a dad when you were 14. He disconnected. The person who was supposed to protect and provide for you, he hurt you. He never helped you. But what are you going to be for your son and your daughter? Be willing to do something you've never seen done before. Pioneer. Because every father, whether good experience or bad experience, has to be a pioneer. Come on, a trailblazer. Are you ready? Any dads re- ready to go? Well, I'm looking. You ready? Come on, you ready? You're great dads. If you're sitting here saying, well, it's too late. I screwed it up. You don't understand. I got grown kids. I can't go back. It's irreversible. No, even with adult children, it's never too late. It's never too late to start sailing uncharted waters. It's never too late to start doing things you've never done before with your kids. Haven't you even heard of the old man in the sea? He was old and he started sailing. Come on, you can be old, have old kids, grown adult kids, get back in the boat and pioneer again. You're their one and only father. You only have one. If you're breathing, you can go and right the wrong. You can go and work out some of the things that were gaping holes in their life. You're their one and only dad. Do you realize that? It's never too late. With God, it's never too late. Come on, you can do this. Be to your kids the father, that what the father was never to you. Break the cycle. Break the pain cycle. You can be a pioneer of love and progression, not pain and stale. Are you catching it?
We can start a brand new legacy. I don't care if you're 60 and your kids are 30, 40, and 50. Come on. You can do this. You can start brand new life traditions. It doesn't have to be the way it always was. Well, that's just the way it is. It's too late. No. What was is not what is to be. Come on. With Jesus, there's always opportunity for life transformation. Maybe you grew up in a home where your father never hugged you. He never kissed you. Never told you that he loved you. And, you know, he always said, yeah, but I put a roof over your head, kid. And I put food on the table, roof over your head. That's the way I showed you my affection. Let me tell you something. You need more than that. Let me tell you something more. They need more than that. In other words, a father puts value in their children. You need to do more than that. Just because that was done to you, it's not what you need to do to the next generation. Do you know that nine out of every ten inmates in prison grew up in a fatherless house? Come on, nine out of ten. Every single prisoner. That's insane. The enemy knows if he can take down the father, if he can remove the father's voice, it will cripple the next generation to make dumb moves because dad didn't make dad moves. Can I encourage you? Don't pioneer today out of the pain of the past. All your I will nevers. I will never do this. I will never do that. I'll never do that. My dad was such a... Mm. I'll never be like my dad, you know. I'm never going to hurt people the way he hurt me and my mom and my family and my little brother. I'll never be violent. I'll never be an alcoholic. No, 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 no. Pioneer today from a place of freedom that is found in forgiveness. Oh, snap. You just said, what? Yes, I did. Forgive the jerk. Forgive the absent father. Forgive the A, father. I can pioneer and move forward, but forgive him. That's what I'm saying. Forgive him. I'm not just talking about making forward progress for yourself out of all your I will nevers. I'm talking about forgiveness and true freedom and true healing. You say, that's insane. Because it's that pain that propels me to be a good dad today. It's that pain that reminds me of what not to do today. But God is saying, I'm not asking you to forgive him because he deserves it. I'm not asking you to honor your father and mother because they deserve it. I'm not even asking you to forgive them because they're asking you to for it. I'm asking you to forgive them because unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. He says the unforgiveness is putting a ceiling on your pioneering. Don't expect to be a great pioneer and make new legacies and great things out of old bitterness and pain and I will nevers. You cannot build through brokenness. If you do, you create brokenness. You're building through a broken and damaged heart and you cannot truly give away something that you don't own. You're just giving away things out of I will never. I will never. He hurt me so I won't. He did this so I won't. How do you give away freedom to your kids for real when you're yourself in bondage? That's not integral. You can't be like, this is real and we're free. When you yourself are tied to bondage and brokenness from your father, forgiveness sets you free, not him. Forgiveness is your freedom, not theirs. Hey, somebody has to step up and say, I choose to forgive the jerk that did that to me. Somebody's got to make a move and say, I choose to let it go. I choose not to say it was okay, but I choose to be free through forgiveness. Somebody's got to make a pioneer move into freedom, and it'll shift your moves as a dad. So dads, the first point of pioneering is, you ready for your four points? we got to give our children access. Make a move of granting your children access to you. 
make a move to granting your children access to your God. Access to me, your father, and access to my father in heaven. Dads grant access. They have access. Do your kids have access to your life? A mother will determine <laughs> what a child remembers. A father will determine what a child believes. What he believes about himself, what she believes about herself, what she believes about other people, what she believes about pain, hurt, bondage. Fathers determine what kids believe. Women, often, mothers, they determine what kids remember. If you're looking at this group that we're trying to reach in this generation, I believe, of millennials, their belief system and their value system, there's so many people that are all over the place because they're a part of a generation that didn't have a father pass their access to faith. They didn't pass their faith. They don't know what to believe. They don't know who to believe in of what they believe about themselves. And it's painful to watch this search for these brand new discoveries of the same age-old problems because a father never was a GPS. A father could have simply handed down his faith. I know it has to be their experience. I know they have to experience God for themselves, discover the hope found in Jesus for themselves, and have their life found and changed by Jesus themselves. But I'm telling you, you can make it so much more accessible to them, Dad. You can give them access to God like nobody else in their whole world can. We've got to be accessible, and we've got to give our children access to God. We want to give our children permission to come to talk to us anytime, all the time, about anything. All the time about anything. Your heavenly father describes it this way. He's a killer dad, okay? He's amazing. He says, come boldly into my presence. Come boldly now into my throne room. Not with your victory, not with your trophy, not with your scholarship, not with your home run. He said, come into me, my presence, in your time of need. And you can obtain mercy and find grace. He said, I'm the kind of father who says, bring me your problems. So you can find mercy, which means chance after chance, new chance, undeserved chance, un undeserved chance. He said, come here. I'm going to give you a second chance and find grace, which is help or empowerment or solving the problem. He said, come here with your boldly into my throne of grace. He said, but come in your time of need. I want to know, can your children bring you your weakness, their weaknesses? Can they bring you their vulnerabilities? Do you freak out on their broken places and their mistakes as a father? And when they bring them to you, do they find mercy? And do they find grace? Do they find empowerment and encouragement? Or do they find, why did you do that? What kind of moron are you? What, what are you thinking? Or do they find grace? Come on, you can do this. Motivation, inspiration, I believe in you. You got everything you need to be successful. You made a mistake. We forgive you. Mercy is there. Do they find mercy and grace? Do they find guilt and condemnation? Your heavenly father says, I'm not telling you just to come when I can celebrate your victories and your strengths. We'll do that. We'll have fun over your victories. We'll celebrate your home runs. But I also want to connect with you, give access, you to me, in your defeats and in your weaknesses. You have access to me in your great times and in your gory times. And then he actually tells them with which the attitude they should approach and they should come. He said, don't be afraid of me as your father. 
don't fear me as your father. Don't be timid. Don't be scared to tell me. Come boldly into my presence. Come boldly into my game room. Come boldly into my man cave. Come boldly to my throne of grace and share what is not working with me. Tell me what's not working right. Tell me what you haven't figured out. And if your children ever come to you that one time, dad, and they get ready to share with you like a trembling voice, that place of their weakness, dad, I got a problem, dad, I really screwed up, and your jaw drops as you're in shock of their deficiency, just so delusioned with their mistake and so disappointed by their efforts and their tries, I hope that you enjoyed that moment because that's the last time that your kids will come and share that kind of information with you. He didn't have to say a word. I knew I disappointed him. He didn't have to say a word. I knew he was delusioned with my greatness. And they will live defeated, and they will shut up talking to you. You stop giving them access when you are so shocked by their nature, which came from you. You did what? I'm like, of course you did that. Let's talk about it. Let me tell you something. I like Thomas in the Bible. Thomas is like, I don't relate to resurrection. I don't relate to celebration and victory. He said, I want to see your scars. Dad, will you show me something where it's hard? Or are you always just so perfect and you relate to me out of your perfection? He's like, Dad, he's like, I, and we serve a God who says, I will get real with you. I'll show you what hurt too. Don't think I got it all together. I got scars. Oh, I'm so shocked. No, no, no. You should say, like, I got scars too. I've made mistakes too. My jaw is not on the floor. It's up in my teeth. <laughs> because there go I, but the grace of God, son. That's exactly what I would do, honey, without the grace of God. I am not shocked by your sin. I am ready to help you grow from it, obtain mercy, and find grace. I want to help you. I'm a father. I want my children to become, be able to come to me the rest of their lives, adult lives, child lives, and tell me anything. Why? Because I'm ready to help them with everything I got, whether we are celebrating trophies or we are working out their trouble. I'm ready to give them my attention, my access to me. They have access to, guess what, a faithful father who is unmovable, unchangeable, unshockable, you can't surprise me. You did what? You hurt who? You messed with whose baby girl? Don't shock me. I'm the same a-hole. But you know who helps me? You know how I get out of my trouble? I call upon the name of the Lord, and I find he saves me. I find he helps me. I'm the same. He said, I love a guy, a guy who says, I'm going to stay the same. A father who's fixed. He says, I'm staying the same no matter what. Access. Fathers give access to their sons, to their daughters. Are you catching this? And leads them to access to God. You know, fathers, you can do something. Jesus gave us access to his father by coming to the cross and dying for our sins. The thing as a dad, uh, you know, I know Jesus better than my kids do. I had a relationship with my dad, and my dad continually gave me access to his God because he knew God, he knew Jesus, and he knew the Holy Spirit a lot better than I did as a kid. As a dad, I know God way more than my kids do. My kids don't know him. They don't know him. They talk to him. They think about him. 
My kids don't know God. Pray for them. They need Jesus. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Yeah, they prayed prayers. Yes, they talk to God every night. Yes, we do stuff. But they don't know Jesus like I know him. I want to introduce them to my best friend and my big brother, the Bible says. His name is Jesus. And Jesus made a way for me. He gave me access to God. So I want to get you into access to God through introducing you to Jesus, yes, but also giving you access to my relationship with him. So you actually see me pray. You actually see me with my Bible. You actually see me have a relationship with a God when I'm hurting, when I'm awesome, when I'm doing terrible, when I'm doing great, when I really am messing up. You see me relating to God. I'm giving you access to the solution-filled Savior that I've found in Jesus. I want to introduce them to Jesus who gives me access to my heavenly father. You know, my, my dad, he gave me access to Jesus continually, relationally. Not forced relationship. Not you better or else, son. Not you're going to hell if you don't believe. No, none of that garbage. Ever. Just access to a personal relationship with Jesus that wasn't mine. How do you give your kids access to your relationship with God? You show them. You actually have one. Every morning, he gave me access by showing me what prayer was. Every morning, I'd catch him praying. Every day, he'd give me access by showing me the power of opening up the word of God. Every single day, I'd see him sitting in his chair with the Bible open. If he was coming back from prayer or at night, he was always in the word of God. He was showing me a lifestyle of access through Jesus to his father. I watched every Saturday as he sat and studied the word of God. I was like, Dad, can we play catch? Yeah, in a, in, a, in a minute. After lunch, I'm going to play catch with you. He gave me access to a living relationship with somebody who was helping him. I listened as he came home every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday. Come home crying out to his God. Like, your dad sounds crazy. No, my dad gave me access. I saw him cry over people that he loved that broke his heart. I watched him cry out to God when he was going through hell in a lot of different scenarios. I saw him give his everything, heart and soul, every day to a bunch of kids like me and 80 people in a chapel setting. I saw him pour out his life. He gave me access to something real that he had with Jesus that I for sure as hell did not have with Jesus. He had something I didn't have. You have something that your kids don't have, and only you can give them access to that. Safety and security that his spiritual leadership gave me was second to none. Felt so safe because I knew that my dad knew God. I knew that I don't know him, but my dad really knows him. I might want to go, you know, sleep with somebody's daughter right now, but I know my dad knows God. If he starts praying, I'm screwed. You know what I'm saying? I, I really want to go screw up my life and do yada, 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 but I know my dad knows God. And there's so much security in that, that no matter what I do, no matter where I go, I know my dad's going to stay the same. And he's going to run to Jesus, and he's going to mess up my life for the rest of my life through his relationship with God. He has access to a God that is real. Are you catching what I'm saying? My dad, when I was screwed up and I didn't know his God like he knew his God, he'd give me access to information as the spiritual leader of, of the house that I lived in. He would tell me things that I knew God would say based on the word of God that I needed to hear and I did not have that access without his relationship with God. Are you catching what I'm saying? I, wanna, I want my kids to hear me praying out loud. I want my kids to see me in a power-packed relationship with a living God where heaven invades their home. This is real. I'm not 
pretending. This is actually everyday life. This is how you create a reality that's accessible to your kids. 1 Corinthians 11.7. The Bible talks about in Deuteronomy. I won't go into that. When you're on the road, when you're in your home, when you're here. When do you teach your kids? All the time along the way. 1 Corinthians 11.7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. I want you to say that. Man is the image and glory of God. Let's say it. Man is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of a man. For man is not from a woman, but a woman from a man. Now, this is not a male chauvinistic verse. I'm going to tell you what this means. Today, the word glory means the place in which an opinion originates. The word glory in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, means weight or heaviness. The word in the New Testament means the place in which an opinion originates in the Greek. Stay with me. Man is the glory of God. Man, you are the first place that your children's opinion of God originates. What your kids think of God is because of what they see in a man. See, according to you, I'd like to ask you. According to your life's reality, I'd like to ask you. Is your God an abandoner? Or will he stick with you through anything? Is your God a provider according to your lifestyle? Or does he barely make rent? Is your God a comforter? Or is he like, suck it up, buttercup. Get over it. Does he care? Does he know your name? Does he pay attention to you? Again, if the man is the glory of God, you are the first place that your children's opinion of God originates. What a responsibility. Is your God disinterested in his own kids? Is the God that you represent relationally awkward, verbally abusive, full of guilt, condemnation, and shame? Because their first opinion of God does not come from God. They don't know God. They know you. Their first opinion of God, the glory, comes from you, the man. It comes from a man. Man is the glory of God. In the household, the man is where the opinion of God originates. Now, I'm not mad at you. I'm madly in love with you. I want to see you connect to your God and your reality with him to your children. But just know that they're watching you. They're not watching God. They don't know him. You know him. In the household, the man is where the opinion of God originates. Sometimes when I say things in church like, let's lift up our hands and worship your heavenly father. Let's cry out to our heavenly father. You can see a struggle in the room. Because I like Jesus, and Jesus is my Savior. Why? Because when you say Father, a lot of people, it brings up all sorts of thoughts and baggage and hurdles. And like, what? Father? Did you just? Father, I hate that man. Father, that's the guy who screwed my life up. It brings all this baggage with it. And the people don't know what the real father is like because all they know is what their father is like. Because man is the glory of God. Opinion originated in their house was not appropriate. Are you catching what I'm saying? And he said that women are the glory of a man. Women are the glory of the man. So either way, men, you get a double duty of representation and responsibility. You are the opinion of God originating in your home. And then it said, she is a direct reflection of you, your wife. So everybody's opinion of you will originate out of looking at your wife. I can tell if a man loves himself. By the way, a woman, her wife, carries herself. The woman is the glory of a man. So if your wife is broken, 
opinion from other people will be broken of you, the man. If she needs to be healed, that means there's something in you that needs to be healed. Are you catching what I'm saying? You don't believe me? Let's read Ephesians 5.25. Ephesians 5.25 says it like this. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus, like Jesus laid down his life and gave his very best for her. Then Ephesians 5.26, it says that we are like Christ. We take ownership, men, and wash her in the water of the word, sanctify her, and present her to God without spot or wrinkle, blemish-free, set apart, and blameless. We do that for her. In other words, whatever you think is wrong with her, it's not her problem. It's yours. It's your responsibility to become an agent of healing and set her up for success. Men, we represent God to our children, and we take ownership of connecting our wives to their healing and their strength. Not only do we need to give them help and access, our wives and our children access to God. It says present your wife before God, whole, healthy, healed, bring her forth, because you can do that, men. Take responsibility of that. And secondly, it says you represent God to your kids. Give them access. Everybody say access. Number two, we want to be attentive. Men of hope, fathers of hope, we want to be attentive. Second pioneer point today, make a move to be attentive. Not just giving your advice before they finish telling you what's wrong. I am so bad at this. But attentiveness changes the way you approach. And you'll get the wrong approach if you don't give the right attention. Lead your family through listening longer. Listen longer through leadership. Listening is critical to understanding. If you don't listen, guess what, guys? You don't understand. Men of hope, I want to ask you, do we listen in our homes? Do you turn off the game? Do you give them your full attention? Or you look at them like, hurry up, I just turned it down. I'm watching my game. What do you have to say? Or do they get all of you when they get you? We want to be better listeners. I'm going to say listeners. You know, even faith can't come until you first listen. Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Some of us can't even believe in God because we won't listen to anybody, much less a preacher. We don't listen to people. We hear them, but we don't listen. You hear what I'm saying? But you won't know what to do until you become a great listener. You don't know how to solve a problem until you understand the problem. How do you understand the problem? You listen to the details around the problem. Do you know that there are people paying over $100 an hour just for somebody to listen them? Listen to them? It's crazy. There are more psychologists and psychiatrists than ever before in all of human history. And people will go pay, not for information. They'll pay just to be listened to by someone who will listen to them and respond like, I heard what you said. What do you think of this? Literally. Do you know how painful it is to feel like you are not interesting? Man, do you know how painful it is for a kid to walk in with something important to them, something that's huge on their heart, and walk out knowing that you were not interesting enough whatsoever in what they had to say, that you wouldn't even listen to them? I tell my kids three basic principles. I drill it into their brains almost every day. I tell them, this might not be reality, but I want you to live like. I want you to pretend like, act like, live like. Everybody loves you, son. You're not a victim, you're a victor. Everybody loves you. Number two, 
Everybody wants to hear what you have to say. Talk to people like they want to hear what you have to say. He's four. Nobody cares. Listen like Dave, try to listen. Everybody wants to hear what you have to say. What is that? It's so important. Act like everybody loves you. Everybody wants to hear what you have to say, son. Number three, you can make a difference in somebody else's life. You are not here for yourself. You have something to say worth listening to, and you can make a difference in people's lives. Everybody loves you. Well, that's just not reality. I said act like. Live like. If everybody else is in bondage, you be free, son. If everybody else has issues and brokennesses and they don't care about people and they don't value people, that's their issue. It's not yours. You be free. You be whole. You act like everybody loves me. Everybody wants to hear what I have to say. I can make a difference in somebody's world today. Come on now. First John. First John 5.14 says this about the way your heavenly father approaches his fathering. Okay? He says, now this is the confidence. Everybody say confidence. Well, it's not real. Act like. Get some confidence. Here's the confidence that we have in our Father. That if we ask anything according to his will, he listens to us. He hears us. He hears us. He's listening to us. I got confidence that he hears me when I open up my mouth. He listens to you. If you talk to your God, you've got all of his attention. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. You have his attention. You hold his heart. He is attentive to you. The Bible says you are the apple, the focus of his eye. He's listening to your words. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him, meaning whatever we ask in his name, he hears us and will do it accordingly. Let me tell you how your heavenly father responds when you call on his name. First off, you got all of him. He is not distracted. He is not disinterested. He is not deterred. He is not in a hurry. He is not annoyed. He is attentive to you. Dads, I want to tell you, you don't have to be perfect at this. You just need to be present at this. We're not looking for perfection from you. We're looking for you to be present and listening and engaging and attempting to give attention. And I love the fact that it says, this is the confidence that I have in my Father. This is the confidence I have in my God. When I talk to God, I know if nobody else is listening, He listens to me and He wants to hear what I've got to say. And not only that, if it aligns with His will, He's not going to just give me His attention. He's going to give me an answer and act on my behalf. He's not the God who just gives attention. He gives answers to questions and acts on your behalf. When it aligns with his will and his heart. And we're the kind of fathers that listen to what our kids say. And if it's within our power to fix it, come on. We will act on whatever they ask. Are you catching me? Dads, just put the thing down and listen. I want to encourage you today. Be attentive. Next move you want to make as a dad, a dad move. Be affirming. Make the move to affirm first. Be affirming. We want to give our kids affirmation. You know, Jesus was 30 years old, and he had rec recorded zero miracles. He hadn't accomplished anything great with his life. He had no trophies, no accolades, no followers, no nothing. At 30 years old, when are you going to get going, son? He was a carpenter of his natural father's business, and he worked in retail. 
and he's going to weddings with his mom as her plus one. He's single, he lives at home or close to home, and he's going with his mom to a wedding as her plus one. That's what we believe. Because Joseph seemed to have died or gotten taken out of the picture. And one day, the heavens opened up when he was getting baptized. And his heavenly father made this amazing declaration before anything was done. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. I am proud of you, son. I am proud of you, honey. I am proud of you, daughter. Again, he hasn't done a thing. He kind of lives at home. He's 30 years old. And he's not dating anybody. See, most fathers want your kids to do a miracle. And then they'll say, hey, that's my boy. Hey, nice hit. That's my son. Hey, great report card. That's my daughter. Hey, great job, honey. Beautiful performance. You're my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus got the affirmation, and that released him to go do the miraculous. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids, they're kind of grown up. They're still looking for your affirmation. See, I never gave it to them. They had to earn it. Still looking for your affirmation. It's not too late. You don't tell your children that they, you're pleased with them after they bought you a string of success. You tell your children that you're pleased and that releases them to go and be successful. Oh, come on now. Well, my father never did that for me and it made me who I am today. Did it? Oh, it really help you? Why are you so insecure? Why are you so broken? Well, it's not the way it works. They'll be entitled. They'll live this entitled life. They'll have to, they have to earn that affirmation. It makes it worth something if they work hard and get it right first. Okay, you keep telling God your father how much better you are at being a father than he is. And how your ways work with your dysfunctional family line and his ways don't. Because we see our father flip it and say affirmation first, success second. You just keep telling yourself, well, that's not the way it works. It's going to raise these entitled brats. Just think everything's wonderful. Everybody gets a trophy. I'm against, against, against. I'm not talking about trophies. I got some opinions on those trophies. I'm talking about affirmation. Affirmation. Everybody say affirmation. I want to encourage you. Pioneer a different path, you man of hope. Pioneer something that wasn't done to you. Do something different that was portrayed to, wasn't portrayed to you and give to your kids the affirmation on the front edge of their success. The front edge of what they attempt. You have so many miracles locked up in your kids at the age of 40-year-old kids, 20-year-old kids, 5-year-old kids, and they're just waiting for you to look at them, dad, and say, I'm good if you mess up, and I'm good if you do great. I love you if you get an A, and I love you if you get an F. I have expectation for you because I believe in you to bring your best, but no matter what happens, honey, I love you. You are my son. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Now go out with my affirmation and my expectation and take over the world. I'm not talking about a life where you have no expectation. We believe expectation in life is a compliment to you. If I expect nothing from you, I think you can't do a darn thing. If I expect something from you, it's a compliment to your competence. I'm saying I think you can do something. So expectation balanced with affirmation. Affirmation first, expectation first. Come on, success follows. 
You were created to crush it, son. You're alive to thrive. I believe this from our Heavenly Father. He looks at you. He says, you are alive to thrive. Everything your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart, honey, as unto the Lord, as unto me. That's a setup for success. You can do this. Instill confidence in them. Hey, I see greatness in you. Hey, when you're looking at your teenager, hey, there's more than meets the eye here. I'm so glad you're not finished yet. You should have seen what people thought of me when I was 16, when I was 17. Speak words of life when all you see is teenage lethargy and teenage mutant ninja children. They look like mutants. They act like mutants. What's that? Where did this come from? It's not finished yet. It's not mature yet. Because we're not going to sit here and concentrate on what you're not doing when I know that you don't have a vision or a passion for life. I'd be the same way too. We're going to talk about who you really are until you find your vision, until you get a passion that God has put inside you. We're we're not just going to call it like it is. We're going to call it as we see it in the future. It's not over yet. My expectations are still great. My affirmation is still strong, but I believe in you. And you got all of me on the front end. Why do you think God takes so much time on the front end, in the middle, and in the back of his word telling you what you're worth? How much he loves you. Saying, you're the apple of my eye. Saying, I knit you in your mother's womb. You have high value. My son died for your existence and what he wants to give you and how he wants to bless you and what he speaks life over you. Why does he do that continually? Because he's an amazing father who's not going to let you leave his presence without feeling valued. Without you knowing... You have what you need, son. I've given you everything you need according to life and godliness. Pertaining to life and godliness, I have set you up for success. I believe in you. You can do this. You're more than a conqueror. Come on, in his presence, you're going to leave it with fullness. He says, if you come into my presence, you're not going to feel like a worm. You're going to feel like a wonderkin. I'm telling you, in his presence, the Bible says there is fullness. Not in his presence, you're not enough. Not in his presence, you need to earn this. Not in his presence, you don't measure up. Not in his presence, you don't belong. Condemnation and guilt. And when are you going to get it together? No. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. There is fullness of peace. There is fullness of acceptance and belonging and affirmation. That's why you will always leave this place. I am committed. You will always leave this Hope Church experience always encouraged, always lifted. Jesus is the gift with a lift. He always calls you up, calls you higher, and leaves you feeling empowered. If you feel like garbage, that's not God. Well, I don't agree. You got to tell people how bad they are. We already know how bad we are. We're already layered with guilt and shame and condemnation. Our dad doesn't need to say a word and we feel it. He just gives us a look, and we know. I disappointed him. He's disillusioned with me. I suck at life. Your father in heaven, every time you come into his presence, there's fullness of joy. I want this place to represent fullness of peace, fullness of belonging, fullness of affirmation. He is well pleased with how he made you. He is well pleased with what he put inside of you. He is well pleased with who you are. He is well pleased with your gifts. Whether you've been successful or a failure, you feel like you're awesome or never enough, I'm telling you, God likes you. He's in love with you. He put great things inside of you. And all of that is before you ever do a darn thing with your life. You don't believe me? Ask his son, Jesus. My big brother, Jesus. Ask how he treats his family. Look at Jesus. 
One last thing I love about our father in heaven and the father of our faith in Abraham the pioneer is he took authority over every problem. He didn't abdicate like so many men in our generation do. He stepped up and he took authority. Men, we need to take authority that God has entrusted us with. Point number four, if you're going to be a pioneer, make the move to take authority. Don't abdicate authority. <laughs> Advance in authority. And this is dangerous because so many people are intimidated and frustrated with men leading in society in 2021. This male chauvinistic preaching, it really bothers me. It's, it's in the Bible. I'm not trying to say this is male chauvinistic. I'm saying maybe people have mishandled this and misappropriated this, and I'm sorry for whatever you went through in your experience, but let's look at the word. Let's look at what he says. God says the man is the head. Take authority of the household. Fathers take authority and break curses. They gain ask access for other people. Like I said, Abraham was a father of our faith. We see God our Father take responsibility. When I say authority, I mean like responsibility. I mean like ownership of problems. Abraham was 60, was told by God, you're going to have a son. The problem was Sarah, Sarah, his wife, was barren. She had a brokenness inside of her. And in her day and age, the worst thing you could do as a woman was not be able to bear kids. And how much control did Sarah have over that? Zero. And she had been a failure since the time it was time to start making babies. Problem was with Sarah, she was barren. And I'm not saying this culture is right. I'm saying this culture is the way it was, okay? We know there's nothing wrong with Abraham's seed because Sarah, his wife, says, why don't you go hook up with my maidservant, Hagar? And he had a son with her named Ishmael. There's all sorts of ish around Ishmael. All sorts. So the issue is not with Abraham. Abraham's great. Man of the household. Not shooting blanks. This works great. I'm an amazing man. Problems with my, my wife, Sarah. She's barren. That's not the vibe I get from him. I love about Abraham is this. He doesn't ever blame Sarah. Before God, before her, before himself. He doesn't make Sarah, <laughs> he doesn't make it Sarah's shame or responsibility because she's not enough. He doesn't even divorce Sarah, which back in the day, people would get divorced over barrenness. He takes authority and he carries that responsibility himself. And guess where he goes with it? He seeks God. He seeks God in his impossibility. And the Bible says that his faith and his faithfulness to God broke the back of that curse and Sarah was able to conceive. Because of Abraham taking authority, he broke the back of a curse and she could conceive. He said, I will take responsibility. This is not her problem, it's mine. And I'm going to God with it. And she brought forth a beautiful boy that they named Isaac. See, up until that point, Sarah was so barren. She lived in so much shame. She was beautiful. We know she was really hot. Other people liked her a lot. They had some problems in their marriage over it. But she lived with reproach. But Abraham, the father, his faith brought breakthrough. He's a curse breaker. So instead of Sarah having shame, depression, and sadness, they named their son Isaac. Isaac means laughter. I'm saying they named their son laughter. Everywhere they went, people said, oh, what a beautiful little baby boy. What's his name? And they said, oh, we call him laughter. 
because they were laughing. She was 90 years old. Her husband was 100 years old. And all they could do is laugh at the goodness of God. Laugh at the goodness of their father. Saying, man, he gave us a son. I'm telling you, men. I'm telling you, fathers, right now, God's will for you is to take authority and turn shame into laughter all over your house. Turn depression and reproach into rejoicing all over your house. Take authority. Just like we were saying, it's not her problem, it's yours. If everybody in your home is sad, depressed, your kids, your wife, all just going through things, take ownership, take authority. It's impossible. You don't understand my wife. She's a version of crazy you've never even met before. I'm saying, it's your responsibility and your reflection. Do something about it. Do something about it. Take ownership. Make a move today. Turn reproach into rejoicing. The Bible says our Father in heaven, gets what his go-to move is. He turns mourning into dancing. Sorrow into joy. He says, your best days are still out in front of you because I'm a good father. I have good things in store for you. Nobody knows the plans and the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of good and not evil. You think you have a depressed, dark life ahead of you? You don't know me yet. Your future is bright. You got hope that endures. You got something bigger to look forward to. I'm a good father. I'm going to turn everything around for your favor. I am a God who's in control and takes authority in your life. I love my father. He turns all what's wrong into everything that's what's right. And he says, I believe in your best days are still in front of you. You were created, men of hope, to be a curse breaker. And I want to tell you, other people can try to take authority when you abdicate it, but it will never be the same as you taking authority in your home. Take authority in the position that God's trusted you with. Everybody else can try when you abdicate, but it will never come into alignment quite like it could. If a father takes authority, you're going to break curses. I want to tell you, generational curses of alcoholism, you're going to break them. You are going to break them. Generational curses of anger and violence, curses of lack and poverty and broken mindsets, welfare dependency, all those things are breaking, broken when a man, a father in the home, takes authority over somebody else's problems. You're a father. Make a move like one. You're a curse breaker. Make a move. You're going to break those things off. Well, I don't believe in any of this stuff. Well, it's still at play in your life. Call it what you want to call it. Ain't got to put no extras on it. Your life still is miserable. Make a move. Do something. Somebody do something. You know, when God wanted to overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah, that corrupt system of perversion and confusion, who did he send in there to make a move? He didn't send in a military man. He didn't send in a psychiatrist. He sent in Abraham, a father. He sent a father into the environment of dysfunction and craziness to take authority. And when he took authority, he overthrew that system and rescued everyone who was trapped inside that environment. I want to tell you, when you take authority, you rescue everybody involved in that environment. Your kids benefit. Your puppies benefit. Your cats even benefit. Your wife for sure benefits. You take authority, overthrow that system, and rescue people who are trapped inside abdicated authority. That's who you are. I want to tell you you're a father. You're a champion. I want to encourage you make moves like one. As we close out, be a pioneer. That's not the way we do it. Do it differently than what you were shown before on your GPS. I don't care if you had a great father. 
I had a great dad. I'm still pioneering. I don't care if you had no father. Pioneer. I don't care if you had a father and it would be better if you had no father. Pioneer. Give your children access to you and access to your relationship with God. Be attentive to them. Listen longer and give your full attention. Be affirming. Be generous with your words of life. Set up your kids' identity for success before they even get started. And finally, number four, don't abdicate your position. Take authority as a man of hope because only you can break generational curses in your family. Come on, if you receive that, if you believe this today, give God a shout of praise and say, I'm gonna make a move. Come on, men of hope, say I'm making moves. Come on, forgive your father today. I want to encourage you. Right now, if you got issue against your dad, if you got pain in your heart against your father, whether he was gone or not there or wherever he was. Maybe he was there, but it would be better if he wasn't. I want to ask you today, make a move towards freedom today for your success. Let's do it together. If you have that problem, if you have this in your heart, I don't, whoever you are, let's pray this together. Jesus, today I let go. I forgive my dad. I release him from every wrong. I'm not saying it was right, but I am saying I want freedom. So today I forgive. I choose freedom. Heal my heart. Fill my wounds. Come on, take me. Create in me something fresh. I'm going to make a pioneer move. 